Hey everyone, it's Marilyn Aloria, and something I keep forgetting to say in all these episodes, I'm putting this in the front, is to, um, I forgot it now. <laughs> what? Oh, new episodes are coming out every Thursday. <laughs> no wonder I keep forgetting. New episodes come out every Thursday, so make sure to subscribe so you can get the new episodes, and you can listen now on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, wherever you listen, or you can go to whocanitbenowpodcast.com. Okay, I hope you enjoy today's episode. Bye! Welcome to Who Can It Be Now? And this is Marilyn Aloria, psychic medium, teacher, and coach, founder of Soul Finder Academy and Membership for Your Soul. Today, we're going to be talking about hauntings. So I have a really fun story to share with you when I lived in a haunted apartment before I knew who I am today, what I am. But before I do that, I wanted to share a couple of things real quick. And uh, I do this mainly because a lot of my students that work with me They are spiritual entrepreneurs and they're learning how to build a business. And you may be learning how to build a business too. So I want you to always know about the behind the scenes and the things that go on with me, because I think it's really helpful when you're growing a business from your heart, from your soul, and you're putting yourself out there, you are the unique brand. There are things that you have to be really comfortable with. And there are moments where you're going to like falter or hit the wall or things aren't going to go that great or whatever. I just wanted, I love teaching through experience. So I want you to learn. Because again, you're putting yourself out there. You are the brand and it could be, it's a very vulnerable experience. So anyway, I went back and listened to the podcast, which I had not done when I recorded them. I was just like, here, take them and put them up there. And when I listened to episode number two, I was like, man, girl, you got to go faster. And it reminded me of the time when I went into Lifetime and they were pitching my show, well, me as to have my own show. And I could tell the executive was like, not into it, probably saw every medium possible in LA, was not like impressed at all. And it's hard walking into a meeting like that. It was the first big meeting we were doing with this particular production company. And I was sharing my stories and really reading him a bit and telling him what I thought. And it was a bomb. I just bombed. And I walked out of the meeting and the agent looked at me and he's like, you can't tell stories that long. You got to edit them. He's like, what happened to you? Because they had been working with me for like quite a couple, few months, you know, getting me ready. And I was like, oh, I guess I can't do that. Well, I kind of did it to you in episode two. So I'm going to make today's story much quicker, much more actionable. And I'm really working on bringing that to you. But before I do that, I want to talk about a couple of things that I think are really fun points. So first off, I did mention in one of the episodes that I was going to be talking about empathic ability, but I'm going to save that for another time. But for those of you who may be wondering what empathic ability is, it's the ability to pick up people's feelings, emotions, physical pain. You can even pick it up from space, actual location, physical location. Uh, you can pick it up from spirits, or you can pick it up from a person you're sitting across from. You could be talking to them, and all of a sudden you feel like you have a headache, and you're like, do you have a headache? And the person's like, yeah, I have a headache. I'm like, thanks a lot, dude. You just gave it to me. So that could be empathic ability. But you could also be feeling emotional. So there was a time when I went into a friend's apartment in uh, Brooklyn. She was thinking of, she was moving out and she was showing it to me because it was this incredible apartment in Brooklyn. And 
she was like, all right, if you want to move in here, come check it out. And I walked around that apartment. I was like, this thing is haunted. And this was very early on. It was in my 20s. And I remember leaving there going, what the f- was that? Like, I was super depressed and just felt horrible. And luckily, this friend was open to all this stuff. And I spoke to her later on. I was like, do you, you have a ghost in there? Do you know that? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, and I'm really depressed. She's like, I know. It's why I want to get out of here. <laughs> so, and again, this was when I was working at MTV still. It's before I knew like I had any of these gifts. So that's what empathic ability is. But we'll talk more about that later on. What I want to share with you is a couple of little tidbits before I jump into the story, because I am hearing from people that they're loving the learning portion of this. And I will uh, teach you as best I can at, through the stories as well. So I wanted to talk about um, Claire audience. I was just teaching um, some of my students in Soul Finder Academy. We were doing a channel session in my soul session, and I was teaching them how to do Claire audience, which is clear hearing. And we were having a lot of great fun with it. And there's a tip that I teach people when you actually work with Claire audience, they were working with a tarot card and what it was saying to them. And if you speak the words out loud, and you can do this just walking down the street, and you watch the words leave your voice, your mouth, watch where they come back in when you're listening to them, because that is usually where that could be where your Claire audience is. So my Claire audience actually sits, I have, I hear in both ears, but for my guides, it sits where my ear meets my head. So it's that like right where that hits. So I know when I'm hearing something right there, that's my guides. And there's so much more to say about that, but I want to give you that quick little tip. So one of my students boxered me and said, you know, my words were way up in space, like way above my head. They weren't on my physical being. She's like, am I doing it wrong? What, what do you think about that? And I was like, no, this is great. Your clairaudience may be up there. So you can't think that it's just, it has to be in your physical body, has to be in your ears, has to be, you have to be hearing it in your eardrum or in your heart, or it could be above your crown chakra. And I told her what to do when she's doing the exercise, how to really tune into that space because spirit may be taking it out of her physical body so that she could trust it more. Because many times I hear from all my students, I don't know if I'm making it up. I don't know if it's really my guide. So I play these different games with them in order to help them tune into their personal instrument, how spirit works with them. So just because I hear where I just told you I heard doesn't mean that my student is going to hear that way either, you know, hear that way. And it doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it wrong. She has to learn her instrument. (laughs) Let me try to get that word out. So I gave her some suggestions on what to do. And she left me a message like, thank you. Thank you. And it was great. Um, Another student of mine was asking me about clairsentience. And clairsentience lives in my uh, third chakra, which is above my navel. And clairsentience for me is a lot like intuition. So it's just having the sense of something. You just know it. It's not claircognizance. Claircognizance is when in a millisecond, you can know an entire story. You can meet someone and know everything about them. Or I could look at a, when I realized I had this gift, I would look at a news billboard. I don't watch the news, but I'd see it in LA. And I would know the entire story within a second just by looking at it. So that's claircognizance. Clairsentience is a sensing, a knowing. It's like you just know something or you know something about someone or you just have a feeling about something, but it's not um, full like paragraphs of information. So she was asking me, how do I get in touch with my clairsentience? And I was like, well, I, for me, it's more like intuition is the tool there. Even though they're separate, they could be separate. For me, they kind of work together. And I was explaining to her how she really had to 
get into the power of her own instrument that she had to, cause she's like, I want to learn and I got to learn how to do it. And I'm, and I've got to learn how to learn about clairvoyance. And they're all studying all these things with me, but everybody out the gate wants to have this new language like today, but it's a muscle that you're building up. You don't get a six pack by going to the gym and doing six crunches. Wouldn't that be great? And you walk out and you're like, I got this kick ass, uh, six pack. It doesn't happen that way. You're learning a new language. You're learning how spirit works with you, your own physical being, how you feel stuff, how you sense stuff, how you hear it, how you know it. You can't know that overnight. I have been doing this work for over 14 years and they are starting open my hearing different again. They're growing me there. They're growing me in my seeing. There's a constant evolution. You're constantly growing. You're constantly expanding. You don't want to put a lid on any of this. So I was like, Work with your clairsentience, just get to know it. It's in your third chakra and see how it works for you. See how you sense things, how you know things, but don't worry about knowing it tomorrow. It's a, it's something that you build and it doesn't mean that she's a great healer, that you can't go out and work as a healer. As you work with people, it grows too. So I wanted to give you that little tip as well. Now I want to give you one more tip and then we're going to go into the haunted story. This is something that happened to me this weekend. So Friday night, I was playing with my dogs and um, I have two really big shepherds and uh, shepherd mixes, but that one of them's mostly shepherd. And I had this small stick and I was playing with the stick, not giving it to them. And then I gave it to my dog, my bigger dog, Micah, and he chomped down on it and got my finger. He didn't do it on purpose. It was an accident. I should have never been playing with a small stick like that with him. And um, I got my finger out, you know, it was fine. And I, it was dark outside. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, the nails broke. And I was like, oh no, something's wrong. And I ran down, I got the dogs, ran downstairs. There was blood everywhere. And there was blood on the walls and blood on the floor. And I was trying to clean it out, but it was bleeding so much. I couldn't tell. And I could see it. And it was like a tip of the finger was like hanging off. <laughs> I know this is probably really disgusting, but I'm sharing the story. And I could barely tell. And I could tell like there was a gash and everything. And I was like, oh, I've, I've done things to my fingers before. And I know when they need stitches. And I was like, I am, I'm not going to go to the emergency room right now. I just don't want to do it. And I kind of started having anxiety because I, I'm here alone. I have five animals. You know, if something happens to me, something's got to take care of them. Someone's got to take care of them. My trainer is like over an hour away. So I was like, all right, I got to calm down. I got to calm down. So I got into meditation. And I knew it was bad. I was like, there's, this is bad. This, I know this. I've cut my finger before. And I got into meditation and I was trying, I was calming down my system to try to figure out what to do. And I heard my guy say, it's okay. It's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. And I was like, all right, I have some butterfly stitches. So I was like, all right, if I stitch it up myself, will it be okay with a heel? Am I, you know, the tip of the finger reminds me of this whole story of what happened to a friend of mine. He had to go to surgery and um, they were like, it's okay. It's going to be okay. And here I've been doing this work for over 14 years. And I sat there in a little bit of doubt. And I, 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 but I was like, I'm not driving to the emergency room. I don't care. So I did a little butterfly thing, wrapped it up, sat down and um, pulled out one of my prayer cards and did deep prayer and was like, heal it, just heal it for me. And the next morning I had a tennis game and it was, wasn't hurting or anything. I didn't really want to look at it. And I couldn't get anybody to replace me in the tennis game. And I really love tennis. And I was like, I'm going to go play. 
And I ended up on the court and was talking to one of the women I was playing with. And she's like, oh, I've done that. There's urgent care. Tell me about urgent care. And she's like, this is what I usually do. I usually tape it up with this tape and the skin. And I was like, yeah, I know the skin will just go back together. So I played tennis and I was like, all right, let me go home. I'm going to take a shower, try to clean it so I could look at it because I was afraid to even look at it. And um, and then I'll, I called urgent care and they were like, this office is not that bit busy. You could probably go there. The doctor could look at it. I was like, okay, great. I went home. I took a shower, took the bandages off. And it was like it barely anything. And I was like, oh my goodness. One of those moments where some of you may say, and you know, there's even a part of me that's like, was it really that bad? There was blood on my walls. There was blood on my floors. This, this piece was hanging off. And I'm like, it's fine. It's okay. So I've been like wrapping it and taking care of it and putting antibiotic stuff on it. And I was thought about it this morning. And this is why I'm sharing with you. Like even me after all these years can still sometimes question these things. And my guide's telling me it's okay. And I know enough to lean into that trust. Otherwise I would have drove to the emergency. Maybe I would have drove to the emergency room. I don't know. Cause I've been through this before, but they calmed me down and they were right. It was okay. And I know the prayer that I did, the deep healing that helped too. So what I'm trying to just share with you is when you get in touch with your guides, they help in those moments right away where they could just bring you down a few notches. I definitely have some fear-based qualities in me. I've worked with them so much, but my mother was very fearful. She was raising the four of us by herself and it was really scary for her. And I remember once her throat closed up and I remember riding in the ambulance to the hospital with her. And I remember standing in the hall, not knowing if she was going to be okay. And I remember somebody helping me like, don't worry, she's going to be okay. She's going to be okay. And being all panicked. I was very young, probably like eight years old. I mean, she was my world. We didn't have anybody. And I remember that I think it was the doctor came out and said, she's fine. They gave her a shot and her throat opened up. And so I woke, I grew up with a lot of that kind of traumatic experiences of fear. And I have to really watch it in my own system. So it's so beneficial to have my guides there and be like, okay, what do you think? And they'll be like, you're okay. So it helps. All right. I'm going to tell you the story about when I was 23, 24 years old. And my first apartment and how haunted it was. Are you ready? So I was so excited and scared too. I was moving out on my own for the first time. And I was moving in with my friend D. We're going to change her name because I know her. She is a very quiet, not a quiet person at all. Actually, she's uh, she's just secretive. So we're going to change her name to D. I'm giving her an alias. So we grew up together. We went to college. I grew up in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, and it's a very, um, Bay Ridge, Brooklyn is a really cool place where supposedly it had the most bars and churches in a square mile. So we were going to bars. I was celebrating my 14th birthday in a bar. We would call up car service back then is the Uber, you know, today. And we'd be like, Hey, I'm in skin flints. Can you take us to wavelengths? Like you didn't even have to see the street names. They just knew all the bars. And there was like a bar on every block and a church on every other block. My friend would always say, um, all the people in the bars now, well, they're in the AA meetings down in the churches because it was pretty wild growing up there. We were hundreds of kids. It wasn't like just five kids. We traveled around in big, big groups. It was a lot of fun, I have to say, and a lot of trouble too, but a lot of fun. So Dee and I moved into an apartment together and 
I was still working at, I was working at MTV then and I was working a lot and she had the front room, which was the, off the living room. It was a big room. And because she got the bigger room, I got the two back bedrooms. So there was a medium sized bedroom and a smaller bedroom. And my mother brought me a new bedroom set. She promised all of us, I think when we graduated high school, she'd buy us a bedroom set and I never got it. So when I moved out, I was like, you're buying me a bedroom set. And I got this big four poster bed with an armoire and a bureau with marble. It was so ornate. <laughs> like it was be nothing I would choose today, but I was so proud of it. And supposedly it was Theodore Roosevelt's replica of his bedroom set. So I had my bedroom back there. And then the smaller room had the armoire because the furniture was too big to fit into it. And we moved into the apartment and the party started and we were having so much fun. And then the ghost started visiting. And I can't recall like the first story of when it happened, but this ghost was visiting us. Mm, She would come in, she would leave, she would come in, she would leave. And Dee and I were sensitive to this ghost and we both believed in it. We both have Italian backgrounds, but we didn't talk about it much. It came to the point where a friend would be over and she'd be like, is the ghost back? And because Dee and I just stopped talking about it because the ghost would leave and come back, I would say, yeah, the ghost is back. And Dee would be like, yeah, it came back Tuesday. And I'd be like, oh my goodness, it came back Tuesday. I knew it came back Tuesday too. And it would be like crazy stuff like that happening. We would be sitting in the kitchen and there was a doorway to the hallway in the kitchen. And it was a tiny kitchen. And we would both see a figure walk by in the hallway. And be like, did you see that? Yeah, I saw that. And we both knew it was a woman and we both knew that she didn't want to hurt us, but still it was really unnerving to have her there. We, the answering machine was in the kitchen and it would be speaking to us. It would just like make sounds and voices. And there was my, we were both dating at the time. And uh, we're going to talk about one of those later on. And um, they were even there and, and saw it and witnessed it. It would leave messages for us. It would just like randomly talk. And I was like, still, I was even skeptical back then. And I'd be like, maybe it's like picking up sounds around the area. Never happened in any other apartment. The it, The phone was hardwired. It was the days of 50 foot cords, 100 foot cord phones. Remember those? And I, some of you probably won't remember this, but you would buy these really, really long codes, cords because we didn't have wireless phones. So you take the phone with you and carry it into the back bedroom and speak on it. You know, there was no cell phones back then. So we knew this ghost. We knew she was around. We knew it was a woman. We would see her walk by the hall. It was freaky because it would be like it's black, black shaded in character. And we would both like be like, oh my goodness, did you just see that? And we would both like freak out. She would come and another reason we'd know she was there was there'd be this putrid, disgusting smell in the hallway. It was so bad that Dee put potpourri out there to try to get rid of it, but it wasn't always there. The ghost wasn't always there. There were moments when it was really strong and there was moments when it was really weak. But here's the thing. This ghost loved living in the back room with me. Loved it. Now, whether it was the woman or not, I wasn't sure, but I got to tell you, it was uncomfortable back there. I don't think I ever slept in that apartment. I would wake up in the middle of the night with something touching my feet. I got so scared and couldn't sleep that I would sleep with the lamp on. So I'd be getting ready for bed and all of a sudden the lamp would get super, super bright 
and then it would dim and then it would get bright again. And then it would dim. It was constantly happening. And then I would wake up with things, like I said, touching my feet. And one night I just woke up in the bathroom because I got so scared, ran out of my bedroom, ran into the bathroom and then fully woke up and was like, what am I doing here? Why am I in the bathroom? And I knew like my heart was beating and everything. And I knew something scared the heck out of me, but I didn't know what it was. I just knew get out of the room. It would shake my bed. One night I wasn't there, but Dee was there. And she said she heard something in the bathroom and she went and it was the tissue thing that flew off the toilet and just flew in the bathroom. So we had a ghost. There was like no question. One thing in particular happened, or one of the one things, I was constantly losing my keys and I would come home at night and ring the bell and Dee would be out the window like, what do you want? I'd be like, open the door. I don't have my keys. I lost them. I forgot to take them. And she would come down and let me in. And she was like, you know what? I'm just going to buy you a rock and hide it in the garden and put the keys in that. But I know you'll end up ringing the bell going, where's the rock? I can't find the rock. And I was like, oh my goodness, she she just knew me. Like I was the wacky roommate. You know, my mother did everything for us. So she had to show me how to clean a toilet. She had to show me how to clean the apartment. (laughs) Once it was during, you know, I lived in New York and Brooklyn. This was in Brooklyn. So it would be snowing out. And she was very picky about her stuff. It was really beautiful. She had a beautiful chair. She was the one with the TV. I was just like a mess. I was just like, you know, I rough and tumble and she'd be like, don't put, you know, don't put the glasses on the coffee table without the coaster, that kind of person. And uh, one day it was snowing out and I had to remove the snow from my car. So I took the spatula and I went downstairs without her knowing and I scraped it off my car, put it back in my jacket, went back upstairs, put the jacket on my, on the kitchen chair. And she's like, is that my spatula? And I was like, oh shit. She's like, what are you doing with the spatula in the jacket pocket? And I had to fess up. I had to tell her that I scraped the windows. So I was trying to become more responsible, making sure I knew where my keys were and making, keeping the bathroom clean, keeping things clean. It wasn't that I wasn't clean. I just didn't know how to clean because my mother was so good at taking, you know, picking up after us. So one morning I was getting ready for work. It was a Friday morning. And I always made my bed. It wasn't like I was messy because that I wasn't. I was I was a clean person. I was getting ready and it was at the bureau and the marble and I'm putting, getting my fixing up and I'm ready to like go to work. And I turn around to my bed, which is made nice, light comforter. And I'm like, where are my keys? I can't find my keys. So I rub my hands up and down the bed right by the, the mirror where the bureau is. And I'm like, I, the keys aren't there. I can't find the keys. So I go out and I'm like, I can't find my keys. And we didn't have an extra set. And Dee was leaving that night for a weekend trip that I was going to go the next day. So she's like, I'll make you a set of keys. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, just, I'll leave my car door open. Just leave them in the car. And she's like, okay. And then I'll see you. You know, I said, I'll see you on Saturday. So I go to work. I was working at MTV, busy day. I come home that night. I get the keys from my car. I go up into the house. I go into my bedroom, I take off my clothes, I put them on the bed and I check again because I'm like, I know I left these keys on the comforter. I remember putting them there and it wasn't just like one key. I had a keychain. I remember I had a little silver bird on it. It was like a, it was a nice keychain with keys on it. 
And I was like, I know it's on this bed. And I'm rubbing my hands up and down. The bed's made. No keys. So I go into the living room. I do my thing. And then I decide to go out that night because, hey, I'm the young 20s. It's fun. I go back into my bedroom. I get dressed again. I put on the same clothes that were on my bed. I rub my hand down the comforter. No keys. And I go out and I go partying. And I come home around 5 o'clock in the morning because those were those days. And I go into my bedroom, I turn on the light and what's sitting there at the edge of the bed, my keys. I kid you not. And I freaked out, totally freaked out. And luckily I had a friend with me and I was like, oh my goodness, the keys. And I told him the whole story about the keys. And I was like, I can't, you can't leave tonight. You got to stay here with me. I am not staying here. This is crazy. So one of the things I'll let you know, and you many may have had this experience, is when they want to get your attention, they'll take things. They love taking keys. They love taking pieces of jewelry. And then they'll return it. And this was interesting because she returned it in the same space. Because if she put it somewhere else in the apartment, I would be like, oh, that was just me. I misplaced it. But I remembered putting it on the bed. I made my, I always make my bed. I make my bed to this day. I made my bed. And she put them back right where I was checking the entire time so that I would know she took the keys. So then one time I uh, was working late at MTV and it was, I think it was a Friday night again. And I was leaving the next day to go to spring break. And I came home and I opened up the front door of the apartment and the phone was sitting by the front door. Remember the 50 foot courts. And all the lights were on and it had this really rust colored shag rug. This is back in like the late 80s, early 90s. And I'm like calling D, D, no one's answering. I'm like, why are all the lights on? Why is the phone by the door? I'm like, I don't know. And I had so much work to do, so I couldn't really worry about it. So I go into the kitchen. I set up all my books and I'm, I'm doing some work that I have to get done before I get on, you know, before I go to sleep and get on the plane the next day. And the phone rings. And it's D. And she's like, you okay? I'm like, yeah, what is going on? You know, the, the, the lights are on. The phone was by the door. What the heck is happening? Don't worry about it. Just wake me up before you leave tomorrow. What time are you leaving? I'm like, what's going on? She's like, just don't worry about it. I'll tell you about it later. Just what time are you leaving in the morning? Just wake me up. And I think I said like 8 a.m. And I'll, I'll, don't worry about it. You know, I'll wake you up. She's like, but I'm like, come on, tell me what's going on. I Obviously, the ghost is back. Something happened. Will you tell me what's going on? And she's like, no, just don't worry about it. She was at a friend's house. Just make sure you wake me up in the morning. No matter what you do, wake me up before you go. And I'm like, all right. And I tried again to get it out of her. And I wasn't freaked out. I was actually finding it amusing. But I, you know, I didn't know. So I hang up the phone. I get back to my work. And all of a sudden I hear, (sighs) (sighs) this really heavy breathing coming from the back bedroom. And I'm like, what the, is that? And I'm like, I get up. I'm in the kitchen. All the lights are still on in the house. And I hear it again. And I'm like, holy shit. What is that? So I'm looking at the doorway that leads to the hallway, which leads to the back bedrooms. And I don't know where I got the courage but I wanted to know what the heck it was. So I head out to the hallway. I'm walking down the hallway and I hear, 
And it's coming from the smaller bedroom. And my heart's beating really fast. And I walk into the smaller bedroom. And I hear, And I look to the corner of the room. And I realize it's the radiator. The radiator is breathing heavy. And I just start laughing hysterically. And I go and I get the phone and I call up Dee and I'm like, hey, did you hear some really heavy breathing? And she's like, yeah. Oh my goodness. Did you hear it? Did you hear it? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I'm like, it's the radiator, you idiot. And we just, I just start laughing hysterically. And I found out later on when she told me the story that she was hearing this breathing and she freaked out and she called our two friends and she was like, I, I, I got it. And they were like, get out of there, get out of there. So she's walking around, you know, the 50 foot cord phone, put, getting dressed. All the lights are on. She's freaking out. She's like, I'm panting my puts legs. She couldn't even say putting her pants on because they were like, you got to get out of there. You got to tell it to go to the other side. And she's on the phone and she's like by the door. And she's like, go to the other side, go to the other side. You're not welcome here. And she hangs up the phone and runs out the door and leaves me there like to come home to that. And we laughed about that for, I don't know how long. It was so funny because everybody had their own story. Dee had her story. I had my story when I came home. My friends who were on the phone with her, who were telling her to get out of the house, had this part of the story. It was hilarious. So we did find some funny things about that house apartment. The other thing about that apartment was Dee got a cat because her boyfriend at the time, they had this cat from college and nobody could take the cat. So she took the cat. Now, I love cats. I have three cats. But for some reason, I couldn't stand this cat. I was like, you got to get rid of that cat. This is so unlike me. I loved cats more than dogs when I was a kid. We had cats. We had chickens in our house in Brooklyn. Don't ask. I'll tell that story another time. We had gerbils and hamsters. And my mother would not say no to animals. She wanted us to have the experience. Guinea pigs. I would. I came home and and there were ducks like in the freaking bathtub. My brother would hatch the, they were actually chickens. He would hatch the chickens above the china closet, you know, in the eggs. And then they, they would like swim around or he'd have all the boxes. I guess you're hearing the story now. The boxes in the living room where the, they would all be cut out and he, they would be behind the couch and they would just be walking around or, and then, and then my mother was like, but they were all like maimed. She said they were like missing beaks or legs. And I I begged my brother to give me a chicken. Give me a chicken. Give me a chicken. He's like, all right, this is your chicken. He tied a little ribbon around it. It's leg. And I was so happy. And we'd watch it, you know, swimming around the bathtub. And the next day I came home and I was like, where's my chicken? And I went downstairs to the basement and it was dead on the dryer. So I don't know where those eggs were coming from or what was happening, those poor chickens, but they should not be in a railroad apartment in Brooklyn. Bottom line is, I loved animals. And Dee brought home this cat that, like, it would never be in my repertoire to be like, get that cat out of here. I hated the cat. Hated it. It was not allowed in my room. It was not allowed ne- near me. I just kept telling you, you got to get rid of the cat. You got to get rid of the cat. So unlike my personality. She finally got rid of the cat. And I was cleaning my room one day. And I looked under the bed And there was cat puke all under my bed. I don't even know how the cat got in there. It's like the cat knew I hated it. I really think to this day that that was the woman. She did not like the cat. She did not want the cat there. She was possessing me to say, get rid of the cat. Needless to say, this apartment was wacky. And I never slept for two years between the grabbing of my feet, the touching of my arms, the brightening the lights, 
we just knew it. And then, yes, there was were times where the ghosts would go away and then she would come back. We knew it lived in the hallway closet. There was something about that closet. We both felt that it was like a portal. Finally, our two-year lease was up and we moved out and we went our separate ways. And I moved into an apartment by myself. First time living by myself. Back apartment, dark. And the first night I was there, I slept like a baby. And I knew the next morning when I woke up, I was like, that apartment was really haunted. It had to have been haunted because for me, who always had a problem with darkness and night, didn't have a nightlight on, back apartment, windows looked at the wall, and I slept like a baby. So that is the story of the haunted apartment. Now, I'm going to tell you something about hauntings in a second. But that apartment was fascinating because years later, Dee read in the newspaper that there were drug dealers that moved in there after us and they were busted. They, the cops got them. And Dee was like, you know what? I know it was the ghost. I know that ghost brought the cops to that house so that, that they, she did not like them living there. She liked us living there, but she did not like them living there. So I'm going to talk more about hauntings down the line because I find them really fascinating. I am a medium that is constantly always working on what really goes on on the other side, what really goes on when people pass. One of the producing teams very, very early on that I was working with asked me what I believe to be true. And I remember sharing what I believe to be true. And I said to them, this was like 10, 12 years ago. I said, you know, but this is what I believe today. I don't know if I'll believe this tomorrow. I never want to tap out, cap out my belief systems because I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly evolving and none of us really know. And I always want to allow for new information to come through. And I really feel that when we experience hauntings, we're going into time um, experiences, dimensions. We're shifting into a whole different time dimension. And when we experience a haunting, that ghost is actually in, we're going into their time. So I'm going to go more into this as I have more space and time to go into it myself and learn from my guides what they're trying to teach me about hauntings. But I'm going to share one more haunting story before I go on. So I was working for NBC. It was NBC. No, it was MTV. I can't remember which company it was. It doesn't matter. And this was still very fleeting to me. So I was still very much in production. I was working on my career and I was having experiences, but not to the point that I shared with you with the statues and the speaking in my ears and the locking in rooms, but always doors and keys. If you notice, I went to Austin, Texas, and I had been traveling. I traveled all the time. So with MTV and then a little bit with NBC Olympics, but traveling was something we did constantly. It was like every month I was traveling someplace. So hotels were normal. I never complained about the room. I was just so used to it. Plus you never spend time in the room anyway. You're always running to the venue, which is wherever the location is. And you're always out late shooting. And then you come home and you just basically sleep. So I get my man in Austin and I get the keys to my room and I go to my room and I'm trying to open the door and the door, door won't open. And I keep trying and trying and trying and the door won't open. The door won't open. The door won't open. Finally, I get the door open and I walk into the room and boom, I feel it. And I'm like, there is no friggin' way I'm staying in this room. There is no way. I have to get out of this room. And I call the front desk and I've never done this. And I said, I will not stay in this room. You need to book me into another room right now. 
And they were like, sure, come right back down and we'll get you a different room. So I get down to the front desk. I get a different room. I go up to the hotel. and I'm in a whole different part of the hotel. It's like the newer part of the hotel. And I go into the room and the room is fine. It's, it's nice. And my PA comes up, production assistant. And he's, and he's like, what happened? I know you were in the other room. I went there and then you weren't there. And they told me you switched rooms. And I told him what happened. He said, oh my goodness. He's like, that's really strange because yesterday an article came out about this hotel, about how the old section of the hotel where you were at is haunted. And that was one of those moments where to me, this was all, I didn't know any of this. Like it was happening to me, but it was confirming. I was like, oh my goodness. That it was like a really cool moment that I knew I had something. So pay attention, pay attention to how you feel when you go into a room, pay attention to how you feel if something's touching your feet. They love, love, love to touch us. They love to, it could feel like a feather falling on your arm. It could feel like, now if the mic just picked up something, that was me, not the ghost, because sometimes you'll hear, and that was me. So I have to do that in my channel sessions now because the mic will constantly pick up voices from spirits and I have to be able to distinguish the difference. So that was me. Anyway, so if it picks up any other time during it and I don't say it's me, that that's the ghost adding in. So they'll touch us like it's a piece of hair falling or could feel like a feather touching us. It's a very light touch. Um, the feet thing, I don't know why they like playing with your feet, probably because they were at the end of the bed and they like touching your feet. I don't want them touching me. I already told you in a past episode that when they, when a ghost is in, I have a ghost in my room uh, house right now, and I know it's the Hollywood murder case that I'm going to tell you about because he's just waiting for me to get to that part of the story. But that story is going to be many episodes. So when a ghost comes into, especially in the kitchen, for some reason, I have no idea why they like the kitchen. You know what? I'd rather the kitchen than the bathroom. Bathroom's my place. Get the frig out. You're not allowed to be in there. They will come right up to your back as if they're glued to you. It's a very strange experience. So pay attention to spaces when you go in them. Pay attention to how you feel. This is an empathic thing that I teach. Pay attention to how you feel before you go into the space. Pay attention to how you feel when you're in the space. Pay attention how you feel when you leave the space because you may be picking up energy from the space. Remember, you are the instrument. It, you, and I'll explain more about that down the line, but it's how you feel, how you see, how you hear, how you know. Remember to develop your skills as if they're a muscle. You have to work with them every day in order for them to get better and better and to grow. And remember that empathic ability isn't just physical feelings. It could be emotional feelings. It could be in the space. And remember that that place may not be haunted, but you may have just stepped into another time. Okay, that's it for this episode. I'm not sure what we'll talk about next episode, but I'm sure there'll be a little bit of learning and a little bit of storytelling. So remember, you can go to whocanitbenowpodcast.com. You can email us at info at whocanitbenowpodcast.com in case there's something you want me to talk about or you want to learn about or any kind of feedback. Be respectful and nice though. I say that to my students all the time. They're so respectful and nice. And I'm like, hey, I don't mind feedback, but be nice about it. And uh, I hope you rate, subscribe and share. And thank you so much. So I'm still trying to find my tagline. One of you may have a better idea, but right now it's who can it be now? I don't know. Let's open the door and see. I'll see you next time. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.